Welcome to that Cruise and Rooney Sports Podcast. I'm Dan Greaves. I'm Martin Rooney. Wow, we have Paralympic royalty with us today. We have the werewolf. The werewolf. The werewolf. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, we, we have we have a, a special guest, Dave Weir. Um, I, he's won so many Paralympic medals, I can't even comprehend how many. Um, but yeah, we... It's great to have him on. I've known him for many, many, many years, um, and he's got so many stories to tell. Um, he's obviously talks about his mental health, which is quite fascinating. Um, how he gets into the, the sport, and and yeah, I think to still struggle to um, to find some motivation to train. Rooney now kicks away. Commonwealth champion for discus dance. Rooney gets the goal. Medal at the last four Paralympic Games. Martin Rooney ran a great race in lane one. Great character. Well done, Dan Greaves. Wow. Um, yeah. Our mates, David Weir, thanks for coming on the pod, mate. Oh, you're welcome, mate. Yeah, it's so good to see you. We must say that um, to the people that are listening to this, Dave hasn't got a top on, which is, is the first time in our podcast history that he's doing it and he's fixing his guns which is in great nick it's set the tone set the tone already i mean i am in good shape to be honest it's um i haven't been in this sort of shape for a couple of years i think really yeah i I don't body wise and mentally wise i'm probably in the best shape that i've been in a long long time as long as i can remember even before rio it's um yeah, Lock, lockdown's done me a favour, I think. <laughs> so what? Um, what's changed then? Because obviously then you were like full-time training and everything else, now solely focused on marathons. Yeah. Uh, have you, has it changed your, like, your training ethic? or? No, I think I started to enjoy the sport again. I think I lost that a long, long time ago and I just didn't want to admit it to myself. Um had a lot of problems going on personally and stuff like that. So I think I just had to, like after Rio and then I did the marathon in 2017 and won it. I didn't win it for myself. I won it to prove that I could still win a race, I think. Okay. And then after that race, I I just didn't celebrate. You know, I broke the record. I beat Tani's record, but it didn't, it didn't mean nothing to me. I, I, I had no emotions. It was really weird, and no I, I I just needed to go away and go away from the sport. I thought at the time because I thought that was what, what was making me depressed. There was a lot, a lot of stuff that was um, making me quite, yeah, down. Um, so I come away from the sport um, for about eight months. Didn't do anything, but I just had to find David Weir again I think mm. I, I, I just felt there was a lot of pressure on on me to deliver for everyone else but myself I felt yeah. like I was just racing for at the time my agents uh my coach even though Jenny never put pressure on me to do anything she never has I was just doing it for her you know just to make her proud uh, my family my friends but I never felt I was doing it for myself so I just needed a break and um that may be worse to be honest I think, <laughs> in, in the long run um 
because I had I wasn't doing anything. I was just pretty much staying at home and just dwelling on things and uh, getting even more depressed. And I couldn't figure out what it was. To be honest, it took a long time to figure out what I needed to do. And I literally had a lot of counselling on my own. Uh, went and 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 saw someone and spoke to someone a lot about. I didn't want to see no one that knew me in the sport or anything like that. I just wanted to see an independent person um, and spoke to them for a good four or five months. And then I realized that I had to do it myself. I had to go and just do things that I wanted to do. Instead of, I, I, I felt like I was just pleasing everyone else. So I just literally went off mostly to the South coast. Um, and just, stayed in hotels and just regrouped really and, and just done the things that I wanted to do. Uh, went on holiday with the kids, just me and the kids, which was, which was great. Uh, it was hard work, but it was probably the, it was nice to get away and just forget about things for a while. And, um, and then I started to miss the training. Like people said, you need to get back to training cause it's good for your mind. But I thought, no, that's what's making me yeah. crazy. Um, so I slowly went back and I think the first month I realized that I need to train, yeah. you know, even if I don't want to race again, I need to, to just enjoy training again. So I enjoyed, started enjoying the training and turning up with the guys and having a laugh again and not taking it seriously. And, yeah. and then, and then I won London marathon again. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, and then that's, that's, that's when I enjoyed it. I started to yeah. really, you know, and then just decided to do the marathons and stuff. So it, it's, it's been a long journey since, since Rio. Um, do you think well, like, since, since London, I think, I think yeah. London was, was <clears throat> before London, I didn't pressure just didn't bother me. Obviously I was very nervous when I went into races and stuff like that. But you know, when people said, Oh, you're going to win this medal, I used to just think, you know, I'll just try my best. Yeah. After London, the pressure just went insane for me. It just, you know, it, it, if I didn't come in the top three, it, um, I felt like the media were on me to say, oh, is it, you know, is he done and dusted? So it was um, it was quite tough. And that's, that's the side of sport that people don't see, do they? They see, they don't see that heavy weight of expectation primarily that as athletes put on we put on it on ourselves because oh yeah obviously. we're so intrinsically motivated and we also want to do it for our families and coaches and mm. all the people that have put every ounce of effort in to take us there so do you think like looking back you maybe you've done this more so in your career like having little breaks to to not be as intense in the training yeah or do, I, or do you think like you wouldn't have changed a thing but looking back now now you've Take, or would you like maybe have not suffered with mental health as much or the depression side because you maybe like have taken a bit more time out here and there um i've always taken time out when i felt like it was getting too on top um so after every olympic paralympics um circuit i would you know every four years i'll take a good couple of months off Anyway, yeah. just to come away from it, I wouldn't even get. I remember coming back from Beijing. I, I didn't get my racing chair out of, out out of its box from the <laughs> flight until I think December, January, because I just didn't want to see it again. You know, yeah. I had a, I had enough of travelling and packing it and unpacking it, and you know. Um, so I've always had breaks, but 
the depression side, I, I think I've always had since a kid and um, didn't realise until I started speaking to a counsellor. I always struggled with my disability when I was really young. Um, you know, growing up on a, a council estate, you always looked different from everyone else. So it was, um, even though, like, my friends never treat me anything, but you know you're different. You can't play football. Yeah. You, you, you can't ride a bike. You know, you, you want to do everything what everyone else is doing. So I always struggled with it when I was younger. So I think it, it just stemmed from there and just kept growing and growing and growing. And I was one of these people that just didn't talk to anyone. I wouldn't even talk to my mum my or, you know, anyone about anything. I just keep it inside all the time. And I think over the years with racing, pressure, uh, family life, um, everything, it just got on top. And then just, after, yeah. after Rio, I just, just exploded, I think. I just couldn't cope with <laughs> my brain. Just couldn't cope with it anymore. So, um, yeah, it's been a long road since Rio. How how does it feel like now that you've let that go, kind of thing? Like you've worked it out. You've kind of come out the other side of it. How does that feel like for you, for your family? Um, is it has it changed like your day to day life, or is it just draining, yeah. or what? Uh, yeah, um, I met my partner. Um, over a year ago and funnily enough she's she's from the south coast and uh so i i you know she lived down here and i moved down here over a year now and since i've done that move away from london away from every i feel like i'm in a different country if that makes sense i feel like no one yeah. recognizes me but they do i know they do but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I i just feel like i'm away from everything um and since I've met her and, you know, I've met Victoria, it's just been, it's just been the best I think I've ever been. So, you know, thanks to her and and the way she is around me and stuff like that. And with my kids and, um, you know, I see my kids a lot every other weekend and, you know, I've just had them for a week as well. And, you know, it's having the support around me and she's just been very supportive and her family. So it's just been you know, you know, you've got to have you've got to have a support network around you all the time, and um, yeah, I've been in the, mentally. I I can't remember the last time I had a down day. Obviously, it's after good. training, sometimes if it doesn't go well, but you know, it's not it's not the same as you know, can't get out of bed because you're mentally drained from everything, or you know, depressed. You can't even eat food properly. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's it's been a it's been an amazing change. Dave, you're like a very tough man. So it's quite like, I like the honesty. I love the honesty of hearing it when you say it. Because someone like, I know you've come from, like Roundshaw is quite a tough place of the world to grow up in. And like, yeah. I remember we used to get, the, I, I went to school near there and it was always like, you'd go on the bus, you had to be careful who was getting on. <laughs> that kind of uh, thing. Like, yeah. So well, you came you through that and it was, for you John to be that Fisher. honest and that like, it's honest for yourself, isn't it? Like you need to make the change and it's I think it's something that we all need to do don't we Dan like I think mm. as men but also yeah. as sportsmen and stuff like it's kind of we're expected to be macho we're expected to be tough and it's kind of yeah and I think you just it yeah I just felt like I had to I had a he- heavy weight on my shoulders for everything and, it, mm. and it, I just yeah I couldn't I, and to know the best thing I when I won the marathon in 2017. I remember halfway through and 
just sitting up for a few seconds and looking at all the races and and just thinking I I, I knew I was going to win. I just <laughs> I, I I don't know why I I wasn't being it wasn't being like I wasn't being confident or cocky because I'm not like that in in the races. But I just had this feeling that I was going to win, and I remember I was welling up because. I knew what I wanted to say to the media at the end. And I knew if I if I didn't win and then I said I had depression, people would say, Oh, that's just an excuse because you didn't win. So I knew yeah, I yeah. had to I had to win yeah. to, to for me to speak out. Because if I didn't win, I probably wouldn't have spoken out. And Which that, is just crazy, isn't it? Like it's it crazy, is crazy to think yeah. That, that as a sportsman and like our most decorated you know, track athlete going out there and mate to, yeah, to have that also to have that pressure to, to even think like that, that, oh, do you know what? No one will believe me if I say I'm depressed because yeah. they'll just think, like you say, like it's an excuse, but yeah. in, in no way, shape or form should it ever, ever have to enter on anyone's head, let alone somebody in a high pressured environment that is in the, in the spotlight and feels like they're going to be judged. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be judged on whether, you've got depression or not it's yeah. it's um it, it's it, crazy to think that yeah so you know probably that race saved me um because i did come out and then obviously i got help after um because i was in a in a bad way leading up leading up to that to that race to be honest i don't know how i won i you know i was barely sleeping eating yeah i don't know someone made me win that race that day you're just a bloody good athlete, mate. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Ten Paralympic golds, eight, what, eight, ten Paralympic medals, eight worlds, eight London marathons. Yeah. Partridge and a pear tree. Yeah, partridge and a pear tree. New York, uh, Berlin, a couple of times. Um, yeah, a few marathons. Which one's the best out of those marathons? <clears throat> uh, the best wins or the best? Uh, course or what's the best uh, at the circuit you mean yeah like if you if you like could do one marathon for the rest of your career which one would you do London Marathon yeah done it's it's where I started it and it'll probably be where I finish to be honest um, it's it's just you know it, it was the first mini marathon I did I didn't really know about Paralympic sport uh, when I was a kid I just yeah, knew that. Didn't, didn't you see it on a poster or something when you went to the to the doctors and that was like you were like oh, I'll never get that. Uh, yeah, no, it's at my uh, when I was at my school in Kingston. Um, there was just like a, a little flyer that said about the mini marathon, and uh, I asked the teachers if I could take it home and show my parents, and I did. Um, but it was literally I used to see the the marathon on on TV and obviously see Chris Hallam and and Tanny and Dave Holding and all the guys do it back in the day. So it was the only race that you saw wheelchairs in. So it was the one that that I wanted to do. You know, I didn't really know about the Paralympics and, you know, you could go and race on tracks and stuff like that. I just knew about, about road racing. Chris Allen was a bit of a wild one, wasn't he? Chris Allen was an amazing guy. He it was so funny when he with that. Uh, he had a massive long mullet, blonde mullet, yeah. like blonde mullet, yeah, yeah. blonde permed mullet. And <laughs> he he was for for advice though. He would sit there and listen and talk to you for hours and ends. 
You know, he was my hero growing up, and then you know we become really close. And when he was on on um, the coaching setup for GB, it was, you know, I, I loved it when he was there because he would tell you how it is. You know, he'd say, yeah. you know, if you're not training right, you're you're doing this wrong and stuff like that. And he was probably the only one I would take advice off. I can always I remember him and. Uh, a couple of the other coaching staff um, put one of the athletes, I think it was Assen World Champs in 2006. Um, was it 2006? Uh, yeah, oh, no. it was t- um, not 2000, it 2005. Five, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and it was almost like a uh, centre parks kind of thing, wasn't it? With That's lodges right, yeah. and um, caravan, like a caravan park. And they pushed this guy out who was at the, at the end party. Um, and he put put him in a canoe, and he was that steaming. He's <laughs> like left his wheelchair on the side and pushed him out into a canoe into this little mini lake. And Chris Allen was, was like, wait till he wakes up in the morning. And this guy was just like, just didn't know whether he could swim or not. But this guy was just steaming on this boat. <laughs> that was my that was my fondest memory from Chris Allen. It was oh, just yeah, so, he, it was just he, hilarious. He, um, I'll tell you, he was he was the first one to take me to a strip bar. So. Um... <laughs> I, I was I was sixteen in in I actually just turned seventeen at Atlanta in '96. So uh, yeah, I said I'm not twenty one. He said, Ah, oh, you'll be all right. You're in a wheelchair. We're getting so uh, <laughs> we we. I remember we was walking for hours trying to find this bloody strip bar. When we went in there, there was everyone in there, everyone you could think of. And it was it was yeah, it was funny. It was funny. Those strippies. Yeah, Can't speak for that. <laughs> uh, so. What's well, we've talked about pressure, right? So you went to London 2012, like you're an established name, and you went in there like in ridiculous shape. Like, did you even feel pressure when you were there, or was it just nerves? Or what? Um, no, I I just felt nerves. I didn't feel. I I always the way I put it, I always said to myself that you know the general public only know me about the London Marathon and a lot of the people think I'm going to win the London Marathon anyway so I just had to treat it like that that people think I'm going to win so I've got to win Uh, and and that was the mentality a lot of the top dogs at uh, GB um, were putting four gold medals around my neck and obviously counting the coins for the next uh, phase of money coming from UK sport, but even before I got them four medals. So I think they put pressure on themselves, to be honest. And for me, I always, you know, people said, oh, but you do so many events. Is that because you want to win four gold medals? No, it's just I've got an opportunity if something goes wrong in the first race. Like in Beijing, it it didn't go to plan because I wasn't very well going into it and stuff like that. So, um yeah, I, I still can't knew. believe you competed with glandular fever, mate. That is, I know, it was um, insane. It was <laughs> insane. Yeah, uh, I remember when Noel said um, when we was in Beijing, we got going over blood tests to see your iron figures, and they were ridiculously low. That he said, "I don't even know how you got out of bed." So, yeah, that. But for London, it was, it was, um, what was you saying? Pressure, wasn't it? Um, no, it was more nerves going going into to London more than, than pressure. Obviously, they, they put four gold medals around me before I started, but I've always just said to myself that I'm, I'm happy with 
with one goal and then whatever happens. But I knew after Beijing that I had to get off to a winning start um, in London. You know, yeah. I, I worked so hard on the 5,000 metres. The most I worked on was the 5,000 and the marathon because I felt they were my weakest, weakest uh, events. The 8 and 15, I just seemed to do consistently all the time and I was always good at them. Um, the 5... I always struggled if the guys went for world records and stuff like that. I'd die off. Well, not die off, but I'd struggle after like eight laps. So I knew for London, in my head, I knew they weren't going to go for a world record because no one does that in championship racing. I knew it would be like a fart leg up, down, up, down. But I trained myself to do fart legs. I trained myself to go world record pace, you know, so I could cover the, you know, the heats, semis and finals. So they were the, the, the two I really worked on the most. Um, and then I knew the other two would just fall into to place. And, um, yeah, so it was it was just getting getting that first 5,000 metres under my belt to um, to get the ball rolling. But, like, I can still remember, mate, like, because we were in apartments together, weren't mm. we? And, it, like, how the mind boggles. I think, I think people would appreciate the four golds a lot more if they saw it through my eyes with the way that you'd you know you come back late at night after a final and then we'd go grab a coffee at the coffee hut remember we're going chill yeah. out for a bit and then you're like right okay i've got to go I've got to go i've got qualifying the next yeah. morning and then you come back then we'd have some lunch and some dinner and then you got the final and it was like that for what three or four days straight and it was that in my eyes, it was seeing seeing you and obviously being there for you and helping out where we could and keeping you chilled and whatnot. But to do back to back to back to back races and still absolutely nail them, I guess like it's just mind blowing to know you know you, you did you did enough in the in the in the qualification, but in the final that was it. And yeah, that was like for me that was something that I'll never forget just being around you and just seeing how you coped with, you know, going to work in the evening and winning a race, but then turning up on the track the next morning just to go and qualify for another final was just like water for ducks back. It was, it was absolutely amazing. I think the the toughest was winning the 5,000 meters. Obviously, you you know, you've, you've won a gold medal in your home stadium and then, you know, you're doing a lap of honor and then, you're seeing everyone and, and you're just buzzing like absolutely like through the roof, uh, the adrenaline and everything. And then you're going for doping, you know, I, you know, sometimes I'm in there for hours and, and I remember I got back about one, half one and I had to be up at, I think it was quarter to seven going to grab some. So literally when I got back that night, I remember just going in the food hall and just grabbing what I first saw. I think it was pizzas or something. I just grabbed that. I had some stuff back at the, in my room, but it wasn't nothing. And I just wanted to eat something. Um, I remember just laying there for hours in, in bed and I, I put something on my laptop just to watch so I could, you know, just go to sleep. But then next thing my alarm went off and I just thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to cope with this today. I literally got up, had a coffee, had some food, but I was still running off the adrenaline from night before. Yeah. And I, I just said to myself, you just got to qualify. You know, you yeah. don't need to flex your muscles. You don't need to, you know, do a world record pace. Um, you, you just have to, I think I had Marcel in my heat, so I just needed to stay behind him, to be honest, and qualify. And he went that slow of the, I remember over the finishing line, I was right up him. If I didn't, 
get that close to him, I wouldn't have qualified. It was that that close oh, from yeah. So um, it was a, a a tough race. But then I had to wait and get my medal, which which was uh, it was worth waiting. Yeah. How, how hard was it to enjoy the medal ceremony, knowing that you've got another race to go to? Um, do you know what? I was more nervous going on on the podium because uh, I remember the officials coming in the room and making sure we got the right kit on and stuff like that. And um, they, they said to me, there's 8,000 people that have waited for the final session. You're the final bit of the session and uh, there's 8,000 people waiting for you. And I was just like, uh, that, that was probably the, you know, and then you're, you're just welling up as soon as you walk out because there's people screaming your name and singing the national anthem before you got on the podium and, you know, you've seen your name going up and yeah, it was, um, it was, it was, no, I, usually I would do what you're saying. I would, I'd think about the next race while I'm on the podium, but this, this time I didn't, I just, I, yeah. I just wanted to enjoy the, enjoy the moment and, um, and then get ready for the final in the evening. So it was, yeah, I was just enjoying the moment. I remember, I can't remember, it was in Assing, I think when I won, I won a gold medal in one of my races and the guy that gave me my medal, he said to me, when was this? 2005 or something or six. And he said to me, um, you can smile. You've just won a gold medal. And I said to him, <laughs> I said to him, I can't because I'm thinking of my other race, my next race. I'm, st- I'm still, you know, my mind was ticking about yeah. the next race. So you do, do but that, that time I, I didn't, I just. That's elite I, mentality. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, the one did, to enjoy, isn't it? Yeah, you did the 100, didn't you, Nassin? Yeah, I won it, didn't I? I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I've, I've, only won, I've only won two important uh, 100 metres in my, in my lifetime. Um, in training, I used to break the world record constantly, but I just couldn't nail it in, in a race. Um, and I remember I, I won it there. I won the 100 there. I think I won in Finland one year at the demonstration world championships um and actually I won in Holland once where there was the world record holder um there was the uh, fastest time this season and there was like three or four guys who were much faster than me and I wiped the floor of them but they're the, they're the only times I've ever mm. and then I thought I'm going to switch the next week I'm going to absolutely smash that world record and then I come eighth or something so it was just <laughs> I just thought, do you know what? I can't do that anymore. I'm not doing the 100 metres anymore. That's crazy. I think uh, it's the range that you got, though, isn't it? You can pull it out. Like you said, uh, uh, you can, you've got the world record in your pa- in your pocket. That means you know when you go to a longer race, you've got like that pace. You know it's always there. I think yeah. that's kind of like that, that. That range is the most impressive thing to me. Yeah, and that's why like in championship racing in the 5K, because they go really slow, and they might pick it up, and then they go really slow. I knew that I had a, a, you know, a 43, 400 in me, even if they were going at a decent pace, because I just, I, I knew my 400 pace was was lightning. When I'm rolling, I'm, you know, one of the, I was one of the quickest in the world at the time for, you know, rolling 400. So, yeah, I. I wish I had a 43 in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Every even, bloody day, yeah, just no problem. Yeah, forty-three, yeah. casual. <laughs> but they're they're even quicker now, so it's it's quite frightening what they're doing. But yeah, at the time it was um, it was pretty good going. 
What's it like being in an apartment with Dan Greaves for a long period of time? <laughs> oh, it's all right, mate. He was upstairs, so I, he, you know, he had a he had a room upstairs. I had a little room downstairs. Um, who else was in there? Stevie Miller. Steve Miller, uh, Dan West, Dan West, um, Stephen Hughes. Oh yeah. Uh, there's a couple of the guide runners, isn't there? So it was a good little, we had the corner plot, didn't we? So we had like Westfield on one side and then, you know, open the window on the other side and there was the Olympic Stadium. Mm. Like that, I I, <laughs> I can still remember, because um, I think I came in a bit later, didn't I? I think I came in on the opening ceremony night and I was like, absolutely buzzing because the fireworks were going off and so I just got accreditation and then you'd already moved in. And um, I didn't even know. I came in. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is oh, this apartment's amazing!" Like, <laughs> and I didn't even know where I was where I was staying. And then you're like, "Your room's upstairs, dickhead." <laughs> I was like, "All right, oh, all right, wicked." Going through my bags in. <laughs> no, it was it was yeah that that time was um, something special. Yeah, I just I just remember at the end when um, you know we was all I don't know if you went out, but. I know, I just remember, do you know, behind they had the like little hut where they had food, but then they put drinks on and stuff like that at the end, didn't they? Um, yeah. And I remember there was a few of us that was going to go out, but we just sat there drinking and talking about what happened. Next thing we know, it's like half four in the morning. It was just crazy. And then obviously we had to get up and get ready for the, the parade, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. so, that was where we had the, you know, the Australian, like the barbecue place. That's right. Yeah. Casual yeah. dining. The casual dining. The casual dining. That's right. Yeah. So, and that was, and that was what um, I think blew me the way the most was just sitting there most nights and you could just hear the noise and they'll be warming the crowd up for, you know, like when you're having your tea, mm. <laughs> just having some, having some dinner, just chilling, eating your food and like the compares in the stadium warming it up and you could hear it all that, for, that way away. And you're like, Oh my God, this is just absolutely Oh, oh you did the national anthem, wouldn't you again? Which yeah. was, uh, you, you know, you could count the medals that are, you know, going on the board every day. Yeah. The other thing that blew my mind in the village was when, we first started um, every time we went into the BPA office and um, there'd be a few paper cuttings of what people have done. And then all of a sudden, they didn't have enough room to stick them on the wall. They were just piled up because we was on front, back, middle. And that's the first time that I've ever seen Paralympians get that kind of coverage uh, in, in the media. And it just blew my mind. You know, I just couldn't believe that we was covering the, the papers like that ever do you the think noise. it'll ever, ever be like that again sorry um no, no. i don't I, I and that's the problem i i just feel that we're always forgotten about to be honest i think as a paralympian we have a four-year cycle and that's it you know there's not enough competitions for the guys on the track I know they're doing stuff at the British Champs at the moment, but I still think it's not enough because, you know, it's mixed classes. It's, you know, they asked me to do the 400, but I said it was a bit short for me at the moment. Um, but it's got mixed classes, even like, um, I think T-34s are racing against us. And for me, I'm happy that they're putting more events on and I'm pleased that, you know, the, the, the top guys are listening to us to get more competition and have combined events which I think is a, the best way for us 
to get us more pub, you know, in the public eye. Um, and it'll get the, you know, once we can have crowds back, it you know, get us used to crowds again and stuff like that. Um, but I still think they, you know, maybe stick to the, you know, I don't really want to race against the T34. It just looks more of an exhibition again. Mm. You know, I don't want to be an exhibition. I want, I want the guys to have their own class, like the 34s have their own. You know, obviously we can have international events when that's when we're allowed again, but that's what I'd like to see. But I'm glad they're doing something. Um, it's a step forward in, in my eyes. Um, I just hope it carries on into next year and, and, and further on. But obviously I want to see each class get their own, own event. Um, but I want it to be combined. I don't want separate days and stuff like that. I, I think it's I think it's best. In my a lot of Paralympians don't like it, but for me, I think for sponsors, for media coverage, um, it just gets us out there again. Yeah. Um, and you know they do it in the Commonwealth Games, and it works well, Dan, doesn't it? So um, yeah, yeah. I had an absolute I, I, heat. <laughs> I yeah, I can't see why you know for us for British athletics and, and diamond leagues and stuff like that why they can't you know start integrating a few I know we have races there uh, 54s but it's still an exhibition race it's not part of the diamond league and, and that would be you know a next step forward and that, that's why with the marathons a lot of the races are, are moving away from the track and doing the marathons because we're we're part of the world series we're part of the marathon series and we, we feel like professional athletes the next step for me in the marathons is obviously to have equal prize money. That would be, yeah. you know, that, you know, London marathon is probably the one that's um, pushing the bow out and pushing it up and trying new things all the time. Um, but the other marathons are a bit, bit behind still. And uh, yeah, I did have a question like, because obviously now you've migrated to the marathons and it always does seem pretty equal as in, yeah, you know, the whole event and everything's put on with both, power and ABs in mind it's a lot more so than some of the some of the like obviously you can't put all of the para uh, events on because otherwise it might probably like a festival of three or four days but that's um, what I'm saying yeah it, but yeah it, it, it does it does seem more a lot more inclusive and a lot more um together which is great yeah. I just wanted yeah. from your position is that how how it is obviously that's perceived how it is but yeah the marathon is uh, you know, we're part of the World Major Marathons. They got a new sponsor in a few years ago. Um, the, all the major marathons said, look, we want the wheelchair division to be part of the majors. We want a point system like the ABs. Um, and we want some prize money for them. And they said, yeah. Obviously, it's not as as, as good as the ABs, but it's a start. It's, yeah. it's something. And then obviously, each race has its prize money. It's not as good as the ABs. But if we keep promoting them and keep you know pushing it, it it will be hopefully equal maybe not before i retire but hopefully i can you know keep pushing them and, and and telling them you know what you know every race we do it's it's so close now you know the top mm. 20 guys are, are so close together it's, it's ridiculous it's it's scary to be honest to to see the strength and depth in in the men's division is 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 truly amazing Sorry, Bruno, I cut you off earlier. What were you going to say? <laughs> I was just saying about the noise in the media, and like it was, it was twenty twelve was very positive. It was, it was an amazing thing, and the media understood what it meant for the country when not only uh, like the Olympians were doing the bit, but the Paralympics were going out and they were killing it. Like they were making picking up medals and dominating things. And what was the noise? 
brings me on to what was the noise like in the crowd when you went out and uh did you get like the record noise or something in that stadium i know uh, west ham got nowhere near it ever again but um yeah, yeah i uh, yeah i think i was just a few decimals above mo farah and i've nice. worked it out i think i was louder because there wasn't as many because i was competing yeah there wasn't many <laughs> corporate seats there was more fans in the stadium that's what okay. i think yeah because mo Farah's is like i think 112 and yours is about 113 114 14 yeah 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 mate that, that was feel in your bones yeah. like. it was do you know what I, I always when you see the blind athletes running and i think that you know they're running around and they don't really know where the finishing line is until people start cheering. And most of the loudness is at, at the finishing line. But yeah. when you was in that stadium and you was going around, if you closed your eyes for a split second, you wouldn't know where the finishing line is because the noise traveled with you. Do you know what I mean? It, it was just, the noise was just something I've never experienced. And I, I've gone back and raced in the stadium since, and you want to reenact it. And it, it, it's never it's not the same. It's never. It's not the it, same. No. no. And you just, just have to bank that that memory, don't you? Because, <clears throat> mate, I had the best seat in the house for your 800 meters, and you know I was on the infield, and like you say, I could just it it still sh- just, shivers down my spine. You could just feel yeah. feel the crowd coming, and like you hear it's the like noise. A wave. It was like yeah. a wave behind you, just just pushing you. And every time you went past it, it would be you know it was it was just an amazing amazing sound. Yeah. I was pissed oh, I had tickets for that. <laughs> Did you? I had to go race. I raced in Brussels instead. It was like Diamond League final or whatever it was called back then. And uh, I was like, I don't get these invites very often these days, so <laughs> I've got to take it. Nah. Yeah. I'm sorry, Did you Dan, do well? I'm going to go earn some money. <laughs> yeah, I need to pay. Uh, no, I ran. No, I came fourth, I think. Which would, for me, Diamond League's not too bad. Fourth yeah, or fifth. Good. Weren't too bad. Helped Kevin Borley uh, win the Diamond League by beating someone else. But uh, There you go. No, I'd rather have, I think, when you look back on your, my career, like, yeah, it was great racing in Brussels, but I, those kind of moments where it was like, you two boys there, Johnny was doing his bits, it was like, mm. it was special. Like, I watched, I watched it, uh, on some of it on TV uh, throughout the day, and then it was like, right, I've got to focus on my own stuff, but I was like, oh, this is just amazing, like, the feeling that you guys were getting, and you could feel it through the TV, it was I was watching like Belgian TV and I could feel it, you know what I mean? It wasn't like BBC pumping it and promoting yeah. that out of you guys. So it, it was, <laughs> it couldn't avoid it. You know what I mean? No. It was it's just like, it was all about you guys. It and was that was spe- amazing. It was a special moment. I, I remember watching the, the blind football and they had like a full crowd. And I was just thinking they probably never played in front of, that many people and it, it was just amazing to see and I just felt for them football players and I felt proud for them you know because they had some crowd and people watching them play yeah. a fantastic game of football which you know they're brilliant aren't they when you see yeah, it yeah. you know amazing guys so I just and even the, even like I like put the telly on in, in the little front room we had and sit there and watch the botcher guys you know and just yeah. seeing them react to the crowd and it was just truly amazing for them guys because they're never going to get you know someone yeah watching them play the, the, you know, the fantastic sport and the, the skill levels they've got is, it, yeah, it, but it blew my mind a bit. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's a great time to be alive and to be involved in this. I think 
like you say, like even like the wheelchair box, basketball and like the copper box was was like eighteen thousand people in there, and it was packed every day and night. And you're like, it's like yeah. I just I just wish there was a wish like everything else that's gone on. You can go back to that moment and just switch the time machine on and go and relive it again. Just because some like, it always stays in your memory and you can and you can feel it and, you, and you're like, but. Just to go and relive it one more, one more time, or just to go and like you know jog your memory and just go and li- go and immerse yourself in that would just be, yeah, it'd just be brilliant. Yeah, I showed my my youngest is is four in September, and I showed him on on telly um, my racing. And obviously, he sees yeah. my my race chair. Is that you, Daddy? Is that you, Daddy? And then he was going, "Where am I?" I said. Uh, <laughs> You wasn't here. Yeah, but where was I? I said, I can't really explain that at the moment, but yeah, you wasn't yeah. you wasn't here. Yeah, the I was. Sto- I said, you, were, you were there. Yeah. You yeah, just then, weren't out yet. Yeah. Yeah. The stork the stork hadn't set sail just yeah. yet to deliver you. And I, obviously no there's spirit. that iconic picture of me and Mason with Mason on my lap after the marathon and Lenny thinks that's him. Because they look, okay. yeah, he goes, "That's me." I said, "No, it's not. You wasn't here." Yeah, that's me. That's not. Ma-. He calls him. <laughs> he can't. He says Ma- Maiden. He don't. He can't say Mason properly. And he, he says, uh, "That's not Maiden. That's me." I said, "It's not. That's Mason." <laughs> no, no, no. He won't have it. <laughs> he thinks it's him. So yeah, you're a glutton for punishment. You got four kids, right? Yeah. Bloody hell! How do you cope? <sighs> All right, to be honest. I don't have them every day, do I? So no, I suppose. But like, still, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My youngest. Uh, sorry, my eldest. Uh, I see. Whenever she needs a few quid, um, she's uh, <laughs> she, she's seventeen now, so uh, she'll be eighteen in February. So I feel a bit old. Um, but yeah, she she talks to me a lot on the phone and stuff like that. So it's pretty nice. easy to be honest. I think. You know, when you have a couple, it just gets a bit easier. Well, I, I don't, don't even suggest that to my missus. Really? No, no, yeah. to be honest, she wouldn't. She doesn't want any more either, so it's good. <laughs> Two's enough. Yeah. Two's enough. I don't, know if it, um, I don't know if I can handle the lack of sleep anymore. Yeah, that's the, that's the biggest thing, isn't it? But well, they're, they're, they're pretty one medal's off of no sleep. Yeah. But how, like, you know... I think myself and Dan had talked about it until the cows come home, but I was like, you know when you're in a heavy training block and you've got mm. like a two-year-old or whatever running around? How did you cope in those times? Uh, to, uh, well, I was thinking about it the other day because um, when I was training, I was thinking, how did I cope with, you know, the, you know, with the kids very young and not sleeping? I think I just adapted to it, to be honest. Um, I did my training, come home and, and, and just chilled out and I then went back training in the evening. So yeah, I don't know to be honest. It was just carried it, on with the routine. Yeah, just carried on with the routine and, and, and tried to get them into a routine, I suppose. And um, but yeah, it was I suppose it was tough. But then like when I'm training I've had them for a week and then I went I went training early in the morning, so I was quite knackered when I come out and then I'll take them out all day to be honest. So it was um yeah, I don't know how I've done it, to be honest. <laughs> how, um, um, how long have you been with Jenny, Jenny Archer? Um, I've known Jenny for over 30 years, I think. I met her probably in 19, 
88, something like that. Um, I met her at the London Youth Games. Um, I was racing for Sutton. Uh, she was working for Merton because she lives in Collierswood. And she said, you're a fantastic little talent. I was in a day chair then as well. So I was pushing 100 metres in a day chair. And then she said, we've got a little training group down at, um, I think it was uh, Tooting Beck at the track there. And uh, she said, come down if you want to start training. So I waited till I got a proper racing chair. Well, it looked like a proper racing chair back then, but if you look at it now, it was like a <laughs> glorified day chair. Um, and I went down there and, and started training with her, um, a group. Um, and then she was like busy with Wimbledon Football Club at the time. So she was their, their coach, uh, fitness coach and rehabilitation coach and stuff like that. Um, so she left us with like a, a training group, uh, uh, Chaz Sadler and Dan Sadler that, that used to, race as well back in the day and um they just took me under their wing and and i stayed with them until 96 um and then jenny was doing her football stuff still kept in contact with her and and spoke to her a lot um and then i come back from atlanta didn't do the sport for four years um obviously missed sydney and was a bit gutted that i didn't go to sydney because it looked an amazing games after Atlanta's disappointment. Um, and I trained for about a year and a bit, I think. I started to get onto funding, uh, UK sport funding, and uh, lottery funding just come out. And uh, I was struggling on my own, and <clears throat> I just picked up the phone, and because I knew she was doing a training group back at Kingston, but I just didn't have the, the balls to, to ring her. And then I just, I just thought I can't do this on my own. I need, I need some guidance. I need a, I need to cut. I need someone strong. Cause I was a bit in and out, in and out, not training, doing a bit, doing a little bit. And I, I rang her and she said, come down to Kingston. I went down there and she just said, what do you want? I said, I just want to get to Athens. I just, I felt like I've let myself down after, uh, after Atlanta. I just want to go to Athens and put that GB vest on again and, she said, all right, and that was it. And then literally, I went back to her in 2002 of, when was it, probably end of January, um, and I won London Marathon for the first time that year. So, so I, I, I knew that I'd uh, picked the right coach. Yeah. Such a legend. Um, and then, obviously, you've like joined forces after London 2012 with the Weir Archer Academy. Mm. Um, Personally, obviously, I know how successful that's been. But um, how many like athletes now have you have you brought through to be able to compete? Um, we, I think, at the moment, we've got a good, strong about 15, 16 athletes with all different disabilities, different classes. Um, we've got some youngsters that are really young, um, uh, but we've got some good quality guys that are touching on, you know, qualifying for the for the Paralympics. Um, we've got Dylan, we've got, you know, obviously you've got Moses, you know, Mo. Um, yeah. We've got Jay that competes for Trinidad and Tobago. Um, you know, we've got Eden, a, a young girl athlete. We've got a really young girl athlete that's looking good for the future. Um, you know, and when I first set it up, it was to make, to get the next 
superstars or get the next wheelchair races. And then I realised that the sport can do more than that. That it's not just for the elite. I, I, I soon realised that the academy was for any ability, yeah. any any race, any any class. Um, even people that didn't have a class because they're they're borderline on on disabilities, they just want to keep fit. They yeah. want to do something. They want to go and do the odd race. They want to. So that's you know when I started seeing that it changed people's lives for that reason, then you know I had a different vision. Obviously, we've got the guys that I know that are going to make it, but then we've got some guys that are never going to make it. But they just love the sport. They love yeah. competing. They love the training because. I think mentally it's helped them a lot. A lot of the youngsters struggle to being at mainstream schools, um, being disabled, don't fit in. And I, I could just see the same. I felt like I didn't fit in everywhere, even though I had friends, you know, everywhere, but I just didn't feel like I fitted in everywhere, anywhere. Um, and it was, I, I could see it, you know, some of the kids were getting really upset and, and this gave them another release of life to be honest you know it changed one lad said to his mum that he doesn't want to be here anymore he 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 hates living and and you know that just made me feel really upset and yeah and she said you know coming here has changed his life it's changed our lives it's you know it feels like a family can do something that he enjoys and um it it brought a tear to my eye and i just felt like we've done we've done something special we're not just not just finding the next yeah, elite, that's success in itself, isn't it, really? You know, yeah, yeah. Like you say, with the outset of trying to make the next Paralympian, but that success story of like actually turning somebody's life around for a positive is far greater. I, I've, you know, it's not just our academy. I, I think after 2012, 20, you know, the, Olymp- the Paralympics done something for us. For you know, um, the numbers in wheelchair racing was you know going down every year and. You know, I remember, I think it was the year before 2012, we went to Stoke Mandeville to do our track champs and the BWR track champs, and there was probably about 30 races, if that. And the year after 2012, there was uh, nearly 100. Jesus. So it just shows you, and now yeah. there's more, it's just growing and growing. And, you know, there's, pe- there's coaches that obviously didn't coach anymore because they had no athletes, and then all of a sudden they've got athletes to, to start coaching again, which is... Which was great to see, and that was just the power of the the Paralympics and us guys doing well on on the track. So it's it's just great at the moment that the sport is thriving again, and I just want to see it grow and grow. And if we can do something at the academy and and build the numbers, that's all I want to do is build the numbers in the sport. And, yeah. You know, it, it was just sitting in Beijing and and looking at our number of races that we had in our squad was seven, and you see teams like Thailand and you know countries that don't really have the backing that we do or the money and you know they they have 12 15 wheelchair races i'm like you know if i don't do something someone's you know we're never going to have another gold medal again so mm-hmm. yeah. i just felt and after that and then obviously i saw what it does for for people's mental health and it was just yeah it was just it was just great things to do since the lockdown we've just been doing loads of zoom training sessions because we haven't had our center open and um so that that's been good to obviously the kids are struggling because they're not getting to see us and then so that that's been a positive thing 
And I think um, obviously Rooney's got his uh, Crystal Palace tap on. We can't not talk about football and how both of your teams helped Villa survive. Thank you very much for the six points, guys. You, uh, you're happy, aren't you? <laughs> Mate, yeah. I, I, well, I, I was, as I would say, shitting bricks on Sunday because I didn't think we'd survive because Bournemouth were ploughing through Everton. But we we did it. We got it over the line. <laughs> yeah, it was... But, uh, that was lucky, though, wasn't it? Yeah. To be honest, uh, I might see Arsenal down there next uh, next season. To be honest, the way they're playing. No. Yeah, <laughs> come on, mate. They're... No, come on. It's not. Your academy's too good. Is it though? It's not as good as it used to be. I don't, I know. don't know. I I look at Arsenal. I think they're not going to win the league. They're not going to challenge for the top four, but they're not going down. Yeah, to the depths where, like, yeah, I, you know, I, I think Arteta is a is a good manager. I I didn't want him at first. I wanted Ancelotti, to be honest. Um, yeah. I, I just wanted some Big experience. Um, but he's come in. He seems to be working. He just needs some help, to be honest. He needs some money. He needs to get a new back. I was going to say back four, but I reckon we need a back back two now. Um, okay two centre-backs and um, and maybe someone in the middle get get rid of o- o- uh, uh, yeah um, and just I don't know with the strikers it just depends to be honest um, if Ban Yang stays or if he goes to be honest but yeah I think it's going to be a tough season for us next year when you got Man City just throwing forty-one million at Ake, you know, from from Bournemouth today. Oh, so. oh really? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's English, isn't he? Oh, Jesus, yeah. No, he's not. He's pro- oh, is he not? not? No, I think he's Dutch. Oh, oh is he? Mm. Oh, I thought he's English. He sounds really. Sounds. He speaks really well. Yeah, no, he's Dutch. I swear oh, okay. he's Dutch. Yeah. yeah. So it's fairly accurate. It's not like we're near like Grealish or like oh we want seventy-eight. 80 million for him. Every time I put Sky Sports News on, they they say that uh, it seems like Arsenal's in for every player. They're saying about Grealish now. We haven't got 80 million to spend on on Grealish. We haven't got 80 quid to pay for his wages. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Well, that was it. When when you were after Zaha and you wanted to spend 40 million in instalments, it was like, nah. I know. We've got to give 25% to Man United in instalments. It's embarrassing, yeah. mate. So I don't know. I don't know. Like football's weird. When you talk about that kind of money, it would be nice to have a bit of that, bit of that cheddar. But yeah, yeah, it would be definitely. I don't I think. Just, uh, I, I'm just looking now that it's Cardiff for two one up. Oh really? Against um, Fulham? Yeah, yeah. They were two 0 down, weren't they? Yeah. So is it two two in aggregate now? No, it's three two. So three two Fulham. Yeah. Oh, three two Fulham. Yeah. Oh, Cardiff are free, uh, um, they're down. Oh, all oh, right, yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah. be interested. I'd, I'd no. like to see Brentford up and. I don't I'll know why. Like, I just think it sounds yeah. funny they'd be in the Premier League. I'd like to see Brentford up because it's such a small, small club with a new stadium. So new stadium, and they sold. They've sold well, haven't they? Yeah, I think that's one of the stats I saw about them. I don't know much about. It. Like once you're out of the Championship, you don't follow it anymore, do you? Like no. it's the best league in the world when you're in it. <laughs> yeah and then you're out of it you're like oh yeah forgot and about you that hope it, hope it never returns <laughs> no Palace is, 
A solid side. No, we're we're really in trouble. We don't Do have a hundred forty million pounds to spend. <laughs> Do you think um, Sean Dyche is going to go there? No, why would he leave where he's at to come to Palace? Well, he's leaving. He's leaving Burnley, isn't he? Yeah, but why would he come to Palace? I don't know. Do you know I mean, like, we're not a bigger club. We might think we are. Like, yeah, London, you can bring more players in. Yeah, um, but you'll have, you'll, you'll have more money in his pocket, won't he? Compared not, to well, Burnley. He'll, he'll get paid well, yeah, but he won't be able to bring in the players he wants to bring in. I think uh, we're, we're one of those clubs that they'll know we'll have to sell Zaha, so we'll get cash in for that. Same as when we sold Wan-Bissaka. And yeah. they're like, well, you've just got 50 million for Wan-Bissaka. That means you're going to have to spend another 10 million on a player that's worth fucking nothing. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> It's tough being a Palace fan, like, because I know we're investing in the future and the stadium and the yeah, academy. Yeah, so what, what's happening with the stadium? Are they going to go where the old track is? No, no, they're staying at Sellers Park. But what they're doing is, um, so the traditional family stand and um, it's one where Sainsbury's is at. Yeah. So they've basically had, the council have forced Sainsbury's, I think, to give a Jeez. bit of their car park up. Right, okay. uh, they're still they're going to stay there, but it was basically Sainsbury's were holding it all up. Sainsbury's should be a sponsor. They've been there for Could you years. Imagine? Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. I, like, I don't know. I think uh, Sainsbury's on the front. Uh, the last thing I heard, I thought they were going to buy the Athletic Stadium. Yeah. Knock it down, build an amazing stadium there, and then have yeah. the Athletic Stadium go to Sellers Park. Oh, I hadn't heard about Sellers Park being the athletic stadium. I thought that had just turned into flats or something. Well, House, yeah. And, but, you know, the, the athletic stadium's like a bomb, bomb site, isn't it? Yeah. It's just... What a stadium back in the day, though, wasn't it? Oh, no. Yeah. I did I love We've talked about it on Twitter before, like the <clears throat> Crystal Palace. Like, I know, obviously, you've had 113 decibels <laughs> from the London Olympic Stadium, but... Crystal Palace on a Friday Friday night yeah. with what like fourteen thousand people in it. That was a different atmosphere. That was special. I think like uh, we're both South London boys and we're both local yeah. to it. But I don't think there's ever like when you had a sunny Friday night. Friday at night, Palace, yeah. And then the, the Diamond Leagues used to be great there. Do you know what though? I, every time I raced there, I loved racing there. I loved the crowd and, and stuff like that. The only thing I <laughs> I felt bad for the international athletes that come over to see that shithole of a stadium. <laughs> I just, I used to sit there and I used to think, I wonder what they think of that fucking this, you know, the, the leaky changing rooms and the and the shitty warm up area. Yeah, the shitty warm up area. You know, it, it was just, I, I used to think, what do they fucking think about it? I don't know, but I used to love racing there. Yeah. I mean, you said the drums, like the the carnival atmosphere that was like the steel drums and stuff yeah. around a uh, hundred meters start. It was always like, I don't know. I, there's not many meets that you can get that kind of thing. I think you get it in London Marathon, obviously. Like the noise. I only ever did the mini marathon, and you get the mm. steel drums. You go down there, and that's cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, Crystal Palace. I, I'd love to see some kind of renovation going on there. I would love to, mate. It's Got just stadium yeah. in the same city can't really have two major athletic stadiums in one city you know what I mean especially when is. yeah but the, why don't they just give the, the stadium up in London for football and then just build a amazing athletic stadium in Crystal Palace see you're like the only other person who's brave enough to say that <laughs> like I, I get it that it was the Olympic stadium I get it but they shouldn't have given it to football 
they should have yeah. kept it. Now, they? they should have just kept it. I know they can't because of money. I get that, but it's not a football stadium. No, and it's, it's an not an athletic stadium now. Like no, so. it's not an athletic because the atmosphere is not there. That is, no. it's not. So yeah, I I'd hate to be a stand fan anyway. Yeah, I don't. I'd lo- I, I'd just love the government to just throw X amount of millions at Crystal Palace and just re. You know, do everything, do the the, the pools, the, the the lot, the diving, everything. Yeah. Just make it world class training center, everything for everyone. You know, the whole yeah. country. I know you've got Loughborough, but that's it. That's you know, there's nothing else, is there? You know, you can't you got, beat Loughborough. Yeah, but you then can't you've got, sell out a stadium. No? <laughs> no, but you've got a good training set up there, which which is great. You haven't really got that. All right, you've got training groups around London, but you haven't got like a national training centre like you would in other countries they'd have a national training centre wouldn't they it'd be yeah. and, and, a, and a, an amazing stadium to race on so I don't know I'm not I'm not Boris am I so <laughs> it's it mate when you uh, retire and you start taking over you and Dan Greaves start taking over you can make that happen uh, I've got so many ideas and and, and I, obviously I want to push the Paralympic movement as, as much as I can and, and the disability side I, I seem to as, accept it accept it more as I've got older my disability and I feel that we need more rights in, in certain things and I'd love to be a voice on, on certain things to be honest you know there's a lot of things that need to be done alright we're one of probably one of the best nations around the world to to support but there's still a lot to do in my eyes and um but then a lot of the the top dogs think we're moaning, but you know I just feel like we're yeah. we're, we're pushed under the carpet and I've forgotten about sometimes. And um, uh, yeah, I'd love to be a voice about a lot of different things, not just sport, but just disability as a as a whole. I think Dan Greaves is doing his bit at the moment. Okay, trying, <laughs> trying to get involved. Trying. I see you getting and. You need to basically yeah. email Dan Greaves and then he'll mm. kick off and get it sorted at the... Well, in our, what's, in our WhatsApp group, Dan. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've actually seen some of the stuff in your WhatsApp group, mate. Oh, yeah. Not that one. Not that one. <laughs> A different one. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where it, it's slowly... If, if there's nothing done, about, done soon about it, it will just become the norm where... Um, Power athletes just accept, accept it. So there's not enough uh, there's not enough competitions because we're power athletes and that just shouldn't be the case. Um, but it's just it's just little things. Then like you know I don't know you know I can't really say who's on the board at, at the IPC, but I bet there's no one sitting around that table that's in a wheelchair. No, or, or an ex athlete, or an ex athlete making decisions like scrapping different classes like you know or scrapping races and you know the t-, t54 200 meters why what, what's the point it's a full you know you get heat semis and finals you know it's not just a, a straight race and it, it baffles me when some of the decisions they make and when you you're outspoken about it they're like oh and they don't want to talk about it you know but no. I, I just we're outspoken about it because we're angry that you've made decisions without consoling us or you know talking to us about it or it, yeah. it, you know I, I don't know who's sitting, there might be someone sitting there with disabilities I don't really know but no. 
in my eyes, I, I can't see it because they would stand up for it. And I think there needs to be more ex-athletes, para-athletes on a lot of board um, f- for me. Yeah, I just think um, that, yeah, the vision is is just, just enough and not like pushing the boundaries and wanting more and more. Like they could do so much more and, um, and para-sport probably participation rate is growing, but is it growing in the standards that I've seen in previous years? Probably not. Um, yeah. And that's where that you need some kind of constructive criticism to enable them to put a, put better policies and better competitions on. And yeah, they, I, I know that there's a IPC athletics commission. Is, and is that then just tick, a tick box exercise? We'd like to think not, but <laughs> well, it's, it, yeah, it's like the decision for the for Tokyo next year, or would have been this year, but for the marathon, obviously in the Olympics, they've <clears throat> moved it further north, so it's a little bit cooler. So for the Paralympians, it, it's not the same. And their answer was, oh, the Paralympians don't want to move. They don't want to leave the village because they have so many races. Did they actually ask guys that do the marathon? I don't think so. I don't know, but... It seems like we've just got a, you know, we're, we've probably got more of a case than ABs to, to to go and race where it's a little bit cooler because a lot of us struggle in the heat. Do you know what I mean? If, yeah, yeah. We've had disabilities, but I just feel like we, we we never get asked. It's just like they make the decision and think, oh, do you know what? It's, it's a lot of hassle to move a load of wheelchair guys up north because of transfers. And it just feels like they can't be bothered sometimes or. Yeah, I don't know. I just get a, <laughs> I get very pissed off quite easily when I see decisions made. When you know, have they asked other uh, yeah. wheelchair guys? Probably not. You know, I didn't get an email to say, "What do you think? Do you think we should?" Do you know what I mean? It'd be yeah, nice as a leading to... a, a leading athlete as well, like one yeah. of the most notable marathon wheelchair athletes ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like. Do you think it'd be better if we moved up north the same as the Olympic guys to, to make it a little bit cooler for you? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah simple, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but, I think that'd be. Yeah. It's like when we went to to New Zealand and we had the World Championships, they didn't even pay to play, put the, close the roads off. So oh, we, had to race, we had to race on open roads. It's just like, what? You're supposed to be an organisation, one of the biggest organisations in the world and you can't, organized to close the roads so i can remember drifting in maybe oh yeah at 4 30 a.m that morning and i was just getting up wasn't I? <laughs> yeah you're just getting up for the Peter uh, Erickson knocked yeah. on my door and told me the night before and i said i don't i don't need to get up then i was just about to get dressed and go out with you guys and he went no 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 i want you to get up and go there and make a, a point about it i was like well you've just made a point you've just been in a meeting so i had to get up at five in the morning and go to the start and just say, I'm not racing. <laughs> I mean, you could have done that drunk, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I could have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you'll get yeah. And, that, and that was, I can remember, like, that World Champs, obviously you sweeped home with three golds, and you were so pissed off because you were just like, right, we're going out. Yeah. We'll see you on the course, Dave. And you like, uh, there's no course because they haven't blocked it off and there's cars coming the other way. It's like a death trap. It's just... Uh, yeah and there's certain things like they, they you know they said they sold out tickets for 
for New Zealand and other races and they're just basically lying like don't lie just be honest so you, you're finding it hard to sell tickets I remember when we went to Christchurch we've been in Auckland for a couple of weeks and we went to Christchurch to get ready for the for the. I remember the people the, the local people they were asking us oh what's going on like, we've got world championships oh we didn't know nothing about it like, yeah, yeah. you know it's been organised for the last two yeah. years it just yeah. and that's where I feel the IPC don't do enough advertisement. They yeah. don't promote the sports. They don't. Uh, maybe they've got too much to deal with. You know, too many sports to deal with. I don't know. Uh, maybe we need to be with the IRC, or we need to have our own athletics yeah. federation. Yeah. Federation. I don't know. I, I just feel they're overwhelmed sometimes, and they can't control every single Paralympic sport that's on the planet. Well. Hopefully we can uh, figurehead some more sensible decisions in the future, mate. I, I vote so. Dave. I vote. I, I vote yeah. Dave Boy for president. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was about I, to say. I, I, I'd, I'd say something wrong in one meeting and get kicked out. <laughs> wouldn't I? Yeah, but well, Trump's managed to get away with it for the last yeah. couple of years, so I'm not too worried. Isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has, hasn't he? I can't think you're going to say anything worse than he said. No. <laughs> um, what I'd like to see is more of what you are doing with your academy, like you said. It's the social thing that's bringing into, uh, bringing into the Paralympics, but also like I mean, to like young people who maybe haven't have been isolated, feel like they're on their own, and you've given them like a, an opportunity to be part of a, just a group of people, a group of friends, you know. Um, and I'd like to see that, well, everywhere. I think that's something that we can really, anyone can get behind, doesn't? Uh, AB, uh, yeah, people body. I had to pick that up as I was going along. What's he saying about AB? AB, AB, able-bodied athletes. Yeah, Yeah, like it's something that I think is huge. And I think that's um, when you look back at what you've done in your career and when now what you're doing with your academy, that's probably what I'd say is the the, the most impressive thing. I think uh, the medals are amazing, the performances are amazing. But to say that you're like making lives, people's lives better by setting up this academy, that's incredible. Uh, Thank you. Uh, you know, it's not just me. It's, it's we've got a massive team behind us. You know, a, a lot of the parents are involved as well, which is you know, it's it's like a family club. Um, we didn't want it to be like a professional. Obviously, we're we're professional when we're coaching and stuff, but we wanted it to be family run as well. The, the families, all the parents get involved. Um, obviously, Jenny does a massive amount of work still. Um, she's got a grandson. You know, he's got his coaching badges and he's learning from Jenny. He takes a lot of the sessions now as well, which is great. Um, yeah, so it's 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 just it's just fun to be at. And you, I went to see him on Saturday because it was Jenny's birthday. So obviously we've done social distancing and stuff like that at the at the indoor roller centre we've got now, and we've got an outside space and just seeing the kids there and. You could see their faces were lit up again because they've just come to say happy birthday to to Jen. Um, and one of the kids just had an operation not long ago, and um, his mum thanked me for you know sending some messages to him over over Twitter and, and um, saying good luck. And because he was so frightened, he thought he was going to die. It's you know it's just hard to yeah you know to think he's only young and he thinks you know he's saying bye to his mum and dad because he thinks he's going to going to pass away and I was just sitting there thinking you know it's yeah. 
yeah, it's just no one should feel like that, should they? No, and 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 this is what the the club does to them. It makes them stronger and happier, and they got a smile on their face. And, um, and you know, if I just do that and make their day, it, it, you know, I've, I've I feel like I've achieved what I wanted to achieve for the for the academy. You know, I, I turned up to one of his sports days because he's feeling a bit down, and he was at Kingston, and he had a big sports day, and he had his racing chair there. He was sitting down on the grass, and I just turned up. I sat with him, had lunch with him, and and um, that made his day. Because then all the other kids recognised me, and they were like, "Is that? Yeah, is that?" He's, they said, "Yeah, he's my mate. He's my coach." And that just, you know, and then he got loads of friends after that because people respected him because he he knew me. So yeah. if I can just do little things like that and, and make people's minds better about their disability, then I, I I feel like I've achieved massive things in that academy. Well, you're a hero to all of us, mate. Thank you're you, a, mate. You're an absolute star. And I think that's that we always like to end this podcast on a uh, a positive note, and there's nothing more positive than changing people's lives for the better, is there? No, mate. That's it. Top man. Dave, thank you very much. You're really welcome, really mate. Yeah, I love yeah. that, mate. It's so good. And um, hopefully we'll get you on again in the future. Yes, mate, definitely. Um yeah, and when we're travelling again, come down to see the the academy when you when you're down that yeah. way, uh, Martin. Does it have a like a social media presence or anything that you want to shout out? Um, just the We're Archer Academy, I suppose. Um, Sweet yeah, just give them give them a massive shout out. And, um, nice. Yeah, they need the they need the praise and what they're doing at the moment. So. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, I thought it was fascinating to just sit back and listen to Dave and um, to see the relationship that Dan and Dave have together. Um, it was very easy just to sit there and let them have a conversation. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, you can follow us uh, on Instagram at GRS Podcast, uh, at Discus Dan, at Martin Rooney. Um, anywhere else, Dan? Um, I think yeah just to give like and a follow to the Weir Archer Academy they're doing some fantastic things um, Dave mentioned it there in the podcast but um, yeah it's just a, a really nice great story that um, the future of athletics are being well kept by the superhero that is Dave Gre- uh, that is Dave Weir Dave Greaves <laughs> wow. uh, we're keeping that in mate I'm not taking that out <laughs> damn it what was that? Like and subscribe on Instagram, on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, um, and anywhere else, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. We hope you enjoy the pod and um, look out for some more special guests coming soon.